0: If you've been around the last three weeks, we took a break from our Attributes series to talk about our rhythms as a church. So if you haven't been here or if you've missed at any point during the last three weeks, I would encourage you to go uh, on the website and check out the podcasts. Um, Those are online. You can listen to those. Those are really important. Um, We just talked the last three weeks about uh, the rhythms that we take part in as a church. Um, Not every rhythm. We just did three big ones, Gather, Give, and Go. Uh, So those are really important things for us as followers of Jesus, and it's important that we're doing those things on a regular basis. When we talk about rhythms, we're talking about uh, you know things that occur often and regularly, right? So Luke was banging that drum back here. He was doing it often, and he was doing it regular. It's a rhythm. Uh, So those things are are needed uh, rhythms in our lives as followers of Jesus. So check those out, Um, not because they're amazing sermons, but because... Those are important things for us to know, all right? So this week, I'm excited. We are back into our attribute sermon, uh, our sermon series. We've been talking about the attributes of God. We are uh, moving towards the end of our first half of the series. The first half of the series is 10 ways that uh, that we are not like him, or ways that God is not like us, rather, not the other way around. So uh, And then we're going to move into 10 ways that we are like him. So uh, the... The reason I got it, the way I got inspired for these series, if you remember, was I read a couple of books by a lady named Jen Wilkin, whose book we're using for the the, the ladies' Bible study. She wrote a couple of books. One called None Like Him, uh, which is the ten ways in which we uh, God is different from us, and then a second book called In His Image, which is the ten attributes of God which we reflect as humans, uh, and so we are just. Uh, man, I've been digging through so many com- commentaries. I've been learning so much uh, throughout this summer series. It's been really, really an amazing time for me. So this week uh, we are moving on, and so we're going to start in Psalm chapter one, one hundred and thirty-nine. I'm not going to make anybody stand up. We're not doing communion today. Uh, we showed up this morning, and it was a lot darker than this in here. So. Uh, we ran to ACE and bought a bunch of lights so that we could actually see a little bit. My eyes are getting accustomed so I can actually see you guys now. This is awesome. Um, so here we are, we're soldiering on, we're rolling with the punches. Um, but anyhow, Psalm 139, starting in verse one. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So uh, the most difficult book that I have ever read in my entire life is a book called On the Trinity by Augustine of Hippo. It's about this thick. And uh, Augustine lived from about 350 AD to mid-400s. Uh, and is one of the, considered one of the early church fathers. He's like an, just an absolutely brilliant mind. And as I read this book, uh, I mean, it's this, a book this thick all about the trinity. And I would read it one page at a time, and I would read every page three times. Because it took three times for me to like comprehend half of what he was saying on that one page. Right? So I would read a page, I'd go back and read it again, go back and read it again, underline circle, right? It's the most difficult book I've ever read in my life. It took me like a year and a half to get through it. And I heard a story this week as I was preparing about Augustine. I don't know if it's true or not, or if it's just something that has been attributed to him. But it said that as he was working on his uh, work on the Trinity that he had to take a break and he was walking along um, the shores of the Mediterranean. And he came upon a, a young boy who was digging a hole in the sand. And it appeared to Augustine that the boy was trying to bring water from the sea to fill the hole with water. So he stopped and he asked the boy what he was doing. And the boy replied that he intended to empty the sea into this cavity. All the great waters of the sea, this boy was trying to empty into the hole in the sand that he was digging. And so Augustine commented to the boy that this is impossible. It, it can't be done. You realize this. And the young boy looked up at Augustine and said, no more impossible for you, Augustine, to explain the mystery on which you are now meditating. Now again, I don't know if this is a true story or not, but it's said that you know Augustine walked away from that uh, conversation and said, standing on the shores of time, I'm trying to get into this little finite mind things which are infinite. And so my reminder today, as we enter back into this, uh, this series, as we enter back into this, um, this posture of learning things that we can't comprehend, is to remind us that we have to do this with a posture of humility. And we have to do this with a posture and with a mind that says, I cannot understand the things which I am attempting to understand. I must come before him on my knees and beg him for his knowledge. And this is especially true of today because we, the, the subject and the attribute that we are uh, talking about today is the subject of God's omniscience. Now, the, the word omniscience, a lot of these are big words, big church words, so, but just to kind of break it down and make it more simple, the, the word omniscience is Latin. Uh, omni means all, and science means knowledge. So all knowledge, right? So what we are talking about today is the idea that God possesses all knowledge. We do not. God possesses all knowledge. We do not. John Wesley said, bring me a worm that can comprehend a man, and I will show you a man that can comprehend God. That's probably an understatement, but that's kind of what we're working from. We cannot understand that which we are attempting to learn about, but we can learn if our posture is correct. Throughout this series, we've talked about this idea of knowing things about someone versus knowing someone, right? So uh, think about whichever earthly hero you want uh, to talk about. You can know a lot of things about that person, but that doesn't mean you know that person. This is one of the dangers of social media. We have, I mean, I don't know how many, if you guys actually know how many Facebook friends you have. I have no idea. I, I haven't counted. At one point, I went through and cleaned house and trimmed it down to like 50. Um, but then all those people friend you again, and I feel bad saying no, right? So, But, but let's be honest. I don't know everybody in this room. Right? I could probably tell you all your names. Maybe. Probably not, actually. 80%. Right? But my mind is limited. It's limited in its capacity to know information. It's limited in its capacity to know people. I cannot have a relationship with everyone. And again, technology has given us this beautiful tool to be able to be connected with different people. There's so many people in my life that I knew in high school and college that I'm able to keep in touch in through social media. It's amazing. I can see their kids. I can see, like, their families. I can see how they, you know, they have bags under their eyes, too, just like me. Makes me feel a little bit better about myself, right? But I cannot know those people. Just because I know information about their uh, political opinions doesn't mean that I know them. Right, We can know a lot of things about God and not know Him. We can go all the way through this series and you can gain all this information that you can then spout off to your friends to make yourself look smart, but not know God. That's extremely possible. In the same way that we can know lots of things about people and not know them, we can know facts about God and not know him. The only way to know God is to come to him in humility and allow him to reveal himself to us. That's the only way to truly know God. And so what we are attempting to do in the sermon series is to not gain Knowledge as much as it is to know the one whom we say we love more than anything else in the world. And so I just feel it's appropriate as we come together to remind us constantly of what we are attempting to do and what we are not attempting to do. So, God is omniscient. It basically means that he has all knowledge. He knows all actualities and all possibilities. Things that are and things that can be. Again, I'm limited in my, uh, my knowledge of the names of the people in this room. God possesses all knowledge. All knowledge that exists and all knowledge that can exist, he possesses. He is the source of all of it. God cannot learn. There is nothing that he does not know, so he cannot learn. Like, I don't know about you, but my, main, my brain has already Cracked. At this point. Like the idea that someone would contain so much vast amount of knowledge that there is nothing that he could possibly learn because there's nothing that he does not already know. That's beyond my realm of understanding. But the amazing thing about God's knowledge, and this is where I want to focus today, is not in its vastness as much as it is in its intimacy. Right, and we're kind of saying the same thing. God's vast knowledge is also vast in its intimacy. Right, there is nothing, no minute detail that He does not know. The the Word of God reveals this to us in numerous ways. I'm just going to give you a couple. Psalm 147, verses four and five. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord, and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. So God's understanding is. Vast. All of the stars, he knows them by name. So it's vast and it's also intimate, right? It's not just that he created all the stars and put them out there. He knows every single one of them and he knows the number of them. That is a vast and yet intimate knowledge. Matthew chapter 10 says, There are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. The sparrows. The birds I used to shoot with my BB gun when I was a kid. He knows every one of them. Psalm 50 verse 11. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. Scripture says that the hairs on your head are numbered. There is not a detail no matter how small or how big, that he does not know. And it, sh- it should take a lifetime for that to settle on our souls. That's not something that we can have a 10-minute moment of silence out. Let's just let that, right? It takes a lifetime for that knowledge to settle into our souls. There is nothing that he does not know Intimately. It's not an an, uh, abstract knowledge. It's not a factual, distant knowledge. It's an intimate knowledge. There is no detail that he does not intimately know and that he is not intimately involved in. He knows everything. Now, this can work two ways, right? When we talk about this intimate, personal knowledge of everything that could exist and that does exist, this can go one of two ways. For us as humans. This can be incredibly alarming. This can be incredibly alarming to us. Because God is also holy. We're not there yet. We'll get, to, we'll get to God's holiness. And God is just. So if we know God is holy. And that he is just. And there is no injustice that will not ultimately go unpunished. And then we are confronted with the fact that God knows everything. That can be alarming. That can be terrifying. And on a certain level, it probably should be. But then we can look at that coin on the other side, can't we? And the other side of that coin is quite simply that God, this holy, just, God, who knows everything about you and about me, chose to love us. Right? This, is, this is the knowledge and this is the, the, fact, the factual ground from which the gospel springs. The creator of the universe, who we'll see in a little while, knew you before he knit you in your mother's womb, knew every sin you would commit, every heinous act that you would commit in your mind, which Jesus, by the way, says is the same thing as actually carrying it out, chose to create you and then chose to die for you. The depths of his knowledge actually enhances his love for us. His grace and his love for us is actually magnified a million fold by the fact that he... Knows everything. There is nothing that he did not know about before he went to the cross for you. Nothing that you have thought or done, past, present, or future. So the realization that God knows everything can be alarming, but ultimately it should give us incredible confidence. Incredible confidence that he loves you. That he loves you. That ultimately, that's why we're here. We're here because he loves us. We're here because he loves us despite us. A.W. Tozer. One of my favorites, he talks about God's knowledge this way. He said, God knows instantly and effortlessly all matters and all matters, all matter and all matters, all mind and every mind, all spirit and all spirits, all being and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, every plurality and all pluralities, all law and every law, all relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feeling, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and on earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven, and hell. Because God knows all things perfectly. He is not surprised by anything because he knows all. He knows no thing better than any other thing, but all things equally well. He never discovers anything. He is never surprised, never amazed. He never wonders about anything, nor, except when drawing men out for their own good, does he seek information or ask questions. You know those times in the scripture where God comes to a person and asks them a question? Like in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve uh, eat the fruits they were commanded not to eat, and they see that they're naked, and they and then they, they hear the presence of God in the garden. What do they do? They hide, right? Like, how ridiculous does that sound? That, we can, that they could possibly think they were hiding from God. But what does God, what, what, what does God do when he approaches them? He asks them a series of questions to which he already knows the answer. He's not doing it because he's trying to gain knowledge. He's, do, he's asking those questions in order to point them and draw them out. So God asks questions, but not because he lacks knowledge. He asks questions for our good. He has the knowledge and he wants to reveal it to us. Jeremiah 33 says, Call to me and I will answer you. I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He give, gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the dark and the light dwells with him. God desires to reveal things to us and he continues to do so. There is no knowledge that is not ultimately God's knowledge. And one of the ways that... That we as men have tried to supplant God. None of us actually word it that way, right? Nobody says, uh, like as Satan did, I'm gonna be like God. But that's ultimately what's in our hearts, and that's what we try to do. The knowledge that he gives us, we then worship instead of worshiping him who gives that knowledge. Right? We worship those who are smarter than us. We attain to gain more and more and more knowledge without any humility behind it, behind the one who gives the knowledge. We worship knowledge. There's nothing wrong with knowledge, right? There's nothing wrong with being smart. In fact, I would, uh, I, I would encourage us to gain as much knowledge, like Proverbs would say that over and over and over, gain knowledge, gain wisdom. But we have to do so with a heart of humility. We have to do so understanding who gives that knowledge and who withholds it. He who owns it. He who is the source of all knowledge gives to us. Our posture is as followers of Jesus, should be what we just read in Psalm 139. Such knowledge is too wonderful me, for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. This has to be our posture as we pursue knowledge. That is not ours. And ultimately, is not ever something that we can possess. We saw this with Nebuchadnezzar, didn't we? As soon as he started to take credit for all the things that had been given to him, what did God do? He took it from him. He took from him not just his possessions, he took from him his sanity. And then after a time when he gave it back to him, Nebuchadnezzar then uh, acknowledged God as the giver of that knowledge, as the giver of that wisdom. You and I have to understand that everything that we have been given, every bit of knowledge that we possess in our physical brains has been given to us by the giver of all things. It's his knowledge, not ours. So we should never take credit for it. We should never make anyone feel less than us because they don't know as much as we do. Because the knowledge that we have is not ours. It's been given to us. Now, here's where I want to shift a little bit, okay? We are talking about God's omniscience, the fact that he knows everything. And so what I think that... I became convicted this week as I read and I read and I read that, that, our, that our emphasis, even as believers, sometimes is on the knowledge of God, right? We want to know more. Even in this series, I want to recenter us a little bit, and I, I think we've done a good job of reminding ourselves of this each, each week, but I want to remind us that there is something greater than knowing God. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something he does not yet know, is he not to know? What did he just say? If anyone imagines that he is, let, let me paraphrase this for you. If anyone imagines that he is kind of a big deal and kind of smart, he's actually an idiot. That's what Paul just said. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Why does he not yet know? Because he should know that what he knows is not his. Does that make any sense? Kind of. All right. But anyone who loves God, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So here's where I want to center us today. The knowledge of God is a wonderful thing. Right. And we should pursue our knowledge of him. But that pales in comparison to being known by him. That pales in comparison to being known by him. In Galatians 4.9, Paul kind of says the same thing. He says, but the, now that you have come to know God, and this is interesting, right? Because you don't go back and correct yourself when you're writing. Right? We do that when we're talking, but you don't do that when you're writing. You just erase it and write it how you want, right? So what does Paul do here? He says, now that you have come to know God, or rather, he corrects himself, or rather be known by God. See, Paul's trying to make a point. You've come to know him, or rather be known by him. He's making an emphasis less on no, us knowing God, and he's placing the emphasis on the fact that we are known by God. The possessor and the creator of all knowledge knows you. And that makes us all equals. One of my favorite preachers, Matt Chandler, says this is why in the kingdom nobody walks with a swagger and nobody walks with a limp. Because God knows you. And that is all That matters. The creator of everything, the possessor of everything, knows you. He knows you intimately. He knows your fears. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your failures. And yet he loves you so much that he's willing to give himself up for you. He is willing to die for you. That's how much he loves you. That's what you are worth. I was reading about this, and then uh, this week I was, uh, so it's cold and rainy out, right? So I don't ride my bike around anymore. Uh, this time of year, I have it on like a treadmill for bikes. Uh, it's in my bedroom, which is an amazing place to have a bike, my wife says. Um, no, seriously, she loves it. It's Anyhow. Um, so I was in there riding my bike, um, bored out of my mind, so I like to, list, like to listen to podcasts while I'm doing it. I was listening to the Bible Project podcast, and they were talking. Uh, and all of a sudden, uh, they started to talk about this 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And, and Tim and John, if you know the Bible Project, uh, they, were, they were kind of spitballing back and forth on this idea. And then John said something that just floored me. He said, this is like... Uh, parents and children. And this just opened this idea of, of of knowing God versus being known by God to a whole new level for me. Maybe you guys know this, but I just thought I, I wanted to share this with you because it was so profound. He said that uh, he took one of his young sons, uh, one of the ministries that we support as a church is Skate Church. And it's a, it's a ministry up in Portland where they have a big warehouse and they build all these fancy skate ramps and they invite uh, kids from the city in come skateboard and they share the gospel with them. It's a wonderful ministry, but there was a lot of us uh, at Multnomah because it's right near there that would serve at that ministry while we were at school. And so, uh, the guys from the Bible project, uh, Tim was actually saved through skate church. And now he's like one of the leading Hebrew scholars probably in the world. Um, he was saved through that ministry and worked at that ministry. And, and John, the other guy at the Bible project did as well. And, uh, and so John was talking about uh, that he took one of his young sons to skate church. And uh, they, they, they walked in, and they were looking around, and he was showing them everything. And he said, "This I used to work here uh, before, before I met your mom. And he said the amazement that came over his son's face, he had no category in his mind for his dad not knowing his mom. It was mind-blowing to him. And so as they were talking about this idea of, of, of we, as children of God, knowing God versus being known by God, he said that wasn't something that he would even think to ask because he had no category in his mind for. It was something that I revealed to him about myself. He was being known by me. I was letting him into my world, and as such, he was learning something about me. And this is how we have to think about our relationship with the Father. We are known by him. There is so much wonderful knowledge that he possesses. That in his grace, he opens that door just a sliver. Knowing that we can't contain all of it, right? There are certain things that you and I do not tell our kids. Because it would harm them. And as they get older, we reveal more to them in appropriate times and appropriate ways, right? Or at least we attempt to. Sometimes we screw them up. I'm just being real. I mean, we do, right? Come on. But this is how our relationship with the Father works. We are known by him, and he loves us. And we can rest in this. What defines us as Christians is not that we have come to know him, but that he knows us. What defines us as Christians is not that we know him, but that he knows us. A.W. Tozer again says No talebearer can inform us, no enemy can make an accusation stick. No forgotten skill and skeleton can come tumbling out of some hidden closet to abash us and expose our past. No unsuspected weakness in our character can come to light to turn God away from us since he knew us utterly before we knew him. And he has called us to himself in the full knowledge of everything that stood against us. He knows us and he loves us. He knows our past, he knows our present, he knows our future. Psalm 139 again. Jumping up to verse 13. He says, "For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made." When's the last time you looked at your yourself in the mirror and said, "I am fearfully and wonderfully made?" Most of the time when we look in the mirror, what are we doing? We're thinking critically, right? We're thinking about the things we want to change. How often do we look in the mirror and say, thank you, Lord, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. I'm not going to lie, I cried this week a lot as I went over these notes. As I was reminded on social media again and again and again and again. of the atrocities that are being committed against the unborn. And I'm not trying to take this sermon to somewhere where it's not supposed to go, but if that verse doesn't, the idea that we as humans could celebrate the murder of the unborn is astounding to me. Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. He knows our past, he knows our present, and he knows our future. And our future in him is exactly this. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Our future, despite what's going on in the world around us, is exactly this. And it is sure. Isaiah 46, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. That's him. That's our God. Declaring the end from the beginning. Jen Wilkin in her book says basic, uh, if I could sum her up, she says, the future is none of our business. God's business. And we spend so much time trying to know the future and control the future. And we spend far too little time investing in the moments that we have been given with the knowledge that we have been given. Far too little time. Psalm 16, verse 5 says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. The Lord is what I have. He is all that I have. Okay? You hold my lot. The psalmist in Psalm 16, verse 5 says, The Lord is all that I have, and he holds my future. He holds it. He possesses it. He declares the end from the beginning. So my prayer today is that we would, two things, that we would trust him with our future and that we would seek as we gain knowledge of him that we would desire to be known by him and we would thank him for that. Again, this is, this is knowledge that takes a lifetime for it to settle into our souls. The fact that the creator of everything knows you more intimately than you know yourself. Before the foundations of the world, he knew you. In eternity future, he knows you. Things like art, like knowledge of self, is astoundingly shallow. Right? I'm almost 40 years old, and I'm still learning things about myself that you would think are... Like elementary level. Wait, I like it was like two years ago, three years ago, maybe that I realized like some somebody said something to me and I went home and I was like, Shannon, do I whistle a lot? And she was like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) Right. Who knew? Everybody but me, Apparently. Right? Our knowledge of self is so astoundingly shallow. God knows everything. He, the, the, the days that you will live, the number of breaths you will take, the exact number of beats your heart will beat in your lifetime, he knew before he created you. And he loves you more than anything. So as we think about God's knowledge, this is where we should end up. That God knows everything and he chose to focus that love on you and on me. He chose for all of his knowledge to ultimately be focused on us. And that should lead to the praise of his glory. And the lifting up of his name. Amen? Father, we love you. God, there is no bit of knowledge that you do not possess, and we do not deserve any of what has been given to us. We come to you today, we stand before you this morning, confessing that we own it. Far too often, Father, we... We attempt to own the knowledge that we have been given and we use it against others. We build ourselves up and we tear others down with something that does not belong to us. Give us humility. Father, help us to rest in the fact that we are known by you and that all other knowledge just puffs up. That we would be content with you as our portion. With you as our cup. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.